if you're an ambitious care provider, the likelihood is that at some point you're going to need to explore some type of debt finance options. But since COVID, the funding landscape appears to have changed dramatically and seems to be in a state of flux. To get some answers around how things have changed and what options are available to care providers, I invited Scott Murcott onto the podcast. Scott's one of the directors at Montaigne Finance, has been in the care sector, in working in the finance arena for many years. So in this episode, he does a brilliant job of laying out the current state of play for care providers looking for funding options. I'm Simon Parker, and this is the Care Leaders Network podcast. So here goes, debt finance in 2023, what you need to know. So Scott, finance with the care sector has changed dramatically through COVID. What can the sector expect in 2023? Yeah, absolutely. I think from uh, what we've seen post-COVID, there's, there's been a reluctance from the high street to really look at new lending. Um, I think there's there's lots of reasons for that, that, that merit that, warrant that. Ultimately, they have existing books, um, that existing connections and clients that they have to look after. And, you know, that's been their, their prerequisite, which we totally understand. I think the interesting thing is it's, it's left a gap in the market. And that gap has been, I suppose, successfully exploited by... The rise of or the, the increase in the challenger lender and that that's been really interesting piece that we've seen uh whether it be you know challenger lenders who've grown or albeit we've seen you know new lenders into the sector as well uh, but it's it's you know a, a fascinating move and i think that's something that we'll continue to see um uh, yes the high street will return but i think what the, the likelihood is that will be in in a guise which is slightly more conservative uh, in their approach, a more vanilla lending, if you like. Got you, got you, got you. No, that makes that makes sense. I mean, I've heard all sorts of um, uh, all sorts of new lenders basically coming out of the woodwork. These challenger banks who are looking to maybe be a bit more creative than than, than the high street lenders as uh, as well. And I think for people involved in M and A activity, where maybe the the the, the deals a little bit left to center, or it kind of needs a a, a particularly uh, creative approach. Um, this is where the uh, the the the, the um, uh, these more creative lenders can can get involved. The uh, the challenger banks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, g- give me like a bit of a summary, kind of what was happening during COVID and uh, afterwards from a from a lending perspective to kind of put into context maybe the landscape as we see it today. Yeah, I think as I say, you know, you, you look at the. Um, lending full stop you know it's it's almost on record you know we, we just haven't seen anything like this before um and you know within the, the care space you know you've you've it's been impacted like never before and um, it's really shown you know how resilient the sector is that we're in a position where we are now uh, where we are seeing the market you know looking you know positive but from that position you know you, you've got banks the high street banks saying you know there's we're just stopping lending you know, they're, they're, we will support our existing clients, but you've got, you know, full teams of, you know, a national print of, of BDM, of business development managers. You've got targets for them to hit. You know, I, I heard a, a really interesting chat uh, with the head of healthcare for a high street bank who said just on their loan book um, for, for, their NAF, for their yearly target, it was achieved within two days of lending support to their existing book. Now that should incorporate you know, business development, that should have written new lending, but they were able to achieve that within two days. 
just within, you know, their existing book when that was forced to supporting clients. So, you know, it, 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 I think from the position we are now, you know, it really is a credit to everyone involved in the sector that we have been able to come out of it. And it's highlighted how resilient the sector is, that, that new lending is, is available now. Um, and as I say, albeit with a slightly more conservative sort of guise, but but it, it, it is there. And, you know, that, that reluctance to lend, as I said, has given birth to different options. And those different options now, you know, the, the bandwidth, it may be in terms of, the loan to value in terms of the type of asset that we can look at. It might be the, the amortization profile. So how long you, the, the bank can lend the money over, but it, but it really is a, a different, completely different landscape to pre COVID. And I suppose being able to navigate that is so important. You know, I think that it's, it's now, a, you know, more than ever operators need to, to look at it in a more holistic, maybe open-minded approach because the reality is, you know, gone are the days where you've got a bank manager who, one, is going to be present for the next 20 years or throughout your journey as an operator, but also is going to have the capacity and credibility to deliver what you need, whether that is a parcel of land or whether that is, you know, an acquisition, refinance, etc. So it's it's completely changed the landscape. So we've obviously talked about the difference between the approaches being taken by the challenger banks and that of the of the high street. Talk to me about the the providers, maybe uh, different operators entering the sector, people looking to do refinances, consolidation, growth, that type of stuff. Give me an overview on kind of what's happening in the uh, on the landscape in that regard. Yeah, so I think you know it, to, to echo your sentiment. In short, the answer would be yes, but you know attached to that is the caveat. You know, read the small print. Um, and I think that that is that is so important because um, yeah the, the the key and the reason that we've seen such a strong bounce back um, is is and it's so re- resilient the sector is so resilient is because of the caliber of operator that we have because of the dedication the commitment and the track record that we have within this space in terms of operational so that the banks are really looking to scrutinize and support the right operator they're looking to harness that. That management um, in in situ. So you know th- the, whether that's a refinance or an acquisition. You know that the, the key really is is looking to say, is this an operator that has um, that we want to back moving forward? How have they handled COVID, and you know the tools that they've got to help them to push forward? And I think if it is somebody that 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 they want to a team that they want to support, a lot of the other bits will fall into place. So the the other bits might be let's say it's a refinance, you know, if, if it's the right management team, they will look at the types of asset class that you've got, you know, is it, what type of uh, home is it, the size of it. They will also look at the, the rating on the home. Ideally, we'll look at the good as a minimum. If there is a requires improvement within the group, it's not a catastrophe, but I think the majority of the group needs to be good for, for us to obtain it, you know, the, the, the the rates and terms from from the lender that aspiration will be after. Then um, moving forward, if you're looking at acquisition, very similar, um, but but rather than it just scrutinising the the uh, existing group, we then also have to look at the target. So again, you know how well is the home, um, how well is the home performing, what is the, the level of uh, CQC within the home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What's key with this position and this will move on to the the next point which is what you said about the new entrant um the the 
the level and quality of the management team will dictate existing, will dictate the caliber of the rate moving forward. So, you know, ideally, most operators will be looking to take something that's underperforming and to turn it around, add value. But to enable to do that, they have to have the credibility for the bank to say, we can see a brand, we can see a quality of care in your existing group that we trust. So we'll do that. Whereas for the, the less experienced operator, there's going to be more scrutiny on the target. So there's, there's you know, you would they would the bank would want you to be buying something that already has the management team in place, that already has the track record, that already has the profits. So it's it's a real balance. But but ultimately, you know, the stronger the operator, then the more bandwidth we've got to look at the type of target. And then when we come on to the last point, which you said, which is a new entrant, it it is very difficult to enter the sector and you know, it is going to be a lender that we need to be more holistic, probably more open-minded about the type of deal. And it being more a case of success in finding a, le a lender and, and obtaining funds rather than getting you a market-leading rate. It will be a case of, an, and it's, you know, the, the key I would say right now is managing expectations. You know, managing expectations of, of, of the operator um, to ensure that, you know, it's fit for purpose. But for to, to enter the sector, it is possible. Um, but very, very difficult. And and the key is, you know, is, is the home performing well? Is there a management team in place? And and can they harness that existing track record in the target to support a new entrant coming into it? I guess all of the, the stars need to align, particularly for, for, for new entrants to the market. And given everything that's been going on within social care recently, I guess the levels of scrutiny from credit teams are just going to go up as a, as a result of, of that as, uh, as well. So um, yeah. one thing that I didn't mention was development finance lending. Uh, of course, there's, uh, there's an awful lot of homes being built around the, the country. Talk to me a little bit about development finance and what's going on in that regard. Yeah, and, and it's it's an exciting opportunity because, you know, it's not just a parcel of land that has an opportunity to, to, to be built on. It may be that there's an existing operator that has, you know, a substantial amount of land attached to it. And actually that, that could be stripped out and whether there's an extension or it is a, you know, a, a new build development, that there, there is lots of opportunities. And, you know, if, if we look at that as an example, you know, there's, we've worked with several operators where we're looking at stripping the title out because ultimately the bank, the bank security is based on the serviceability, which I've alluded to, and, and the bricks and mortar. They, they're not really ascertaining any value necessary from, from the, the grass, that's just, you know, the land that's attached to the building or to the site. So from that position, you know, we, we work with several operators to, operators to say, well, let's strip that out. And now you've got an unencumbered, parcel of land that we can develop on. Um, if we look at you know the, the, the bandwidth between the lenders, that they are quite similar um, in terms of what they're looking to achieve, which is very creative lending, um, very holistic in their approach, which is you know it's not going to be on the serviceability because there isn't any on day one. So it will be a method of, of rolling up the interest, rolling up the payments. That the, the key for them at that point is the track record so have they done this kind of thing before? And, and if not, you know, what's the, the credibility, the quality of the management team they're going to be using? And that really will be the, you know, their, their key driver along with the exit. And, and that's, that's crucial for them because ultimately they're saying, we're going to lend you this money. We're not going to put any pressure on you right now to pay for it. 
So we need to make sure that we have an exit plan that is credible. And that should be through, you know, the likes of, you know, a challenger lender slash high street lender, who at that point will be able to look at not a piece of grass, but they'll be able to look at a nice purpose-built facility, which fits within their policy now. And am I right in saying, so typically uh, a lot of the time that you'd have one lender to provide the development finance and that typically that they would get refinanced out at a point of maturation where the home was full enough to be able to uh, refinance where you've got that serviceability? Yeah, I think it's a really good question because it goes back to that point where there isn't really a lender that can offer you that that full. There are, you know, but unless you've got the, the track record, there isn't necessarily a lender that, that has the ability or, um, you know, the intention to 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 look at that full bandwidth from, you know, piece of grass, parcel of land to you know maturity of a of a, of a building. So the yeah the the, the, the Old school would be two lenders. You would probably look at, you know, a, a developer that can build it and then, you know, high street challenger lender that will then take it out, at, as you say, maturity. The interesting thing is, you know, we've worked with, with several, but one client in particular who was actually a developer and we we were working with them to look at a different option. And the option they were, weren't aware of was they were having to put down a considerable amount of money per each, you know, each development. And they're only getting that back or the opportunity to to utilize the um, the value at maturity. Now we can look at lenders, and there are lenders in the market that that will look at on PC. So when it's built, now that changes that changes the game slightly. Sorry, Simon. No, no, just to double check and make sure that I'm I'm, I'm not misunderstanding. So PC, we're talking practical completion. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So apologies. Yeah. So so at the point of when it's built. At turnkey, you can open the door and you have a shell and it's built. There's also an opportunity now to to actually, you know, look at a lender to do the refinance at that point. Now, for them, the advantage was, you know, they were able to remove the bridging or development funding, which was, you know, relatively expensive, put that onto debt, which was cheaper. But most importantly, not necessarily the rate, the important part of this was the amortization. Because bridging is is and development money is is only short term, because you know that's that's the build. Once you can start amortizing that over 50, 20, 15, 20 years, you know that from a cash position, you know then it makes an enormous enormous difference. So they're able to realize some of the profits and then redistribute that into into another project. But the other thing is, you know that they're, they're realizing that because to maturity it might take eighteen months. So they're doing it 18 months early. So it's almost, you know, from a two phase, it's, it's potentially it's now become a three phase. And that that would be used, that proposal was looking at three separate lenders for that, which is, you know, which is a really interesting model. Um, but, you know, it, it shows you, and that's, you know, as, as I say, they were, they were they're a developer, so they're aware of, you know, existing lenders. But it was something that was really interesting, really interesting case study. And I think we will see more of that moving forward. And I guess like, so you've got the realization of the value of the the property that you're building. But I guess if you've got a relatively aggressive um, uh, uh, opening uh, uh, targets and things, you're opening lots of homes in relatively, relative quick succession, knowing that homes that are further back in the development pipeline, that they 
because effectively that money is going to get redistributed into reinvestment somewhere along the lines, aren't they? And it's probably going to look if people do have an aggressive time um, uh, opening schedule, if you uh, if you like, that money can be better used elsewhere with the right the right level of finance. Yeah, absolutely. To you know, to hit around figures, they were putting they were putting in uh, say if it was eight million, then they were putting in four million. Then it went from only having to put twenty five percent in half of that. And then realizing that, so what they were saying is, you know, rather than having to wait 18 months post PC, practical completion, they were getting that early, but then not having to put as much in and then moving quickly as well. So that, you know, what they were saying is we can double the workflow, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Now that's super helpful. Thank you for explaining. And um, a lot of providers will be interested in um, the redevelopment of their of their current assets to uh, to enhance the home in whatever way that might look like. How are banks um, how do banks feel about supporting in the, in that kind of respect? Maybe an extension, maybe a change of use, maybe some refurb that type of uh, that type of work. Typically, what are you seeing um, from, from from banks in that respect? Yeah, and I, I think that's um, it's a good question because you know a lot of homes will have especially sort of if you look at the converted stock, you know, there will be the opportunities to enhance it, to refurbish it, extend on it, as we've discussed. The, the banks are open to that because ultimately, you know, they will say, you know, it's it's improving, enhancing their security. So I would say resoundingly, it would say, yes, that's positive because the, the calibre of their security is enhancing. The trade-off is how much it's going to cost do they have the skill to do that depending on the level? You know, is this just a light refurb or is it a full extension? But the, the other element would be, is this going to impact on trade as well? So, you know, if, if this is a great idea and, and the end result is it's going to be very good, but actually, you know, they're going to have to shut half of the home for six months. You know, then there's going to have to be a rigid plan in terms of do they have savings or um, plan B to support the, the lack of serviceability. So that, that will be the trade-off. For the bank right i guess they're always going to get excited if they think there's opportunity to safely lend more money into an asset into a business that's going to be comfortably able to to, to repay that loan P- particularly if, if it's going to add extra beds or maybe reconfiguration to have larger rooms or or, or kind of uh, rooms that are uh, particularly focused on the private end of the end of the market yeah absolutely and and, and then also you've got to look logistically, you know, does it make sense? You know, are you enhancing a home where, you know, you're already maybe at the ceiling of what weekly fees are going to be? Or does it make sense? You know, if you look at comparable information, actually, you know, will this change enhance performance, you know, with profitability within the home? So I think you've got, you know, you've got to look at the, all the sort of components of that. But a whistle-stop answer, yes, the, the bank would be definitely supportive on principle of doing that just as long as we can make it work got you got you got you okay lovely um metrics 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 talk to me about the type of metrics that banks are currently using when it comes to uh, all types of different uh, different lending and uh, i guess put them into context and just uh, explain a little bit about each point just so that the um, audience member can get a real real appreciation for exactly what the banks are going to be looking for when it comes to uh, comes to lending money yeah absolutely so the, the, certainly the the, the most important traditionally uh, component of the lending process would be the loan to value. 
So that is purely just, you know, the, the value of the home versus the, the debt that's outstanding. That, as, as, as I say, is the old school um, way of, and always the most important component in terms of a credit policy. But that has been, I wouldn't say been uh, relegated, but there, there, are, there are other components now which, which make up that decision. Um, and one that I would say that's even more important now is, is post-2008 really is, is, is the serviceability, which is derived from you know, financial performance from the accounts. So that is um, the lever uh, you know, worked out on a leverage calculation. So leverage calculation is a, a multiple of EBITDA into the proposed debt quantum. Now that, that above all is, I would say in my opinion, is, is the number one measure for a debt facility. Um, we also have then, you know, CQC, the, the quality of the rating within the home, fundamentally, you know, extremely important. I think, it, you know, I, I depend on the lender, uh, there is a bandwidth in terms of their approach. There, there can be, you know, movement within that. We all are aware that there are a lot of homes which are RI, which simply aren't, you know, there's plans in place. And, you know, that's, that's another conversation in terms of the you know, getting getting the upgrade on there. But if, if the majority of the homes, you know, is, is, is good or the, the group is, is good, then yeah, that, that's a positive. And then the, the last point alongside, you know, the management and the, the CQC is, is the type of home. And I would say that we've seen possibly, you know, a two tier model, if you like, within the sector. And that's been formed, if you like, from this emergence of you know, purpose-built new facilities. You know, lending is driven now and the bank's appetite is driven for purpose-built 60-bed-plus facilities. And everyone is aware of that. And that's what the banks are looking for. Even some of the challenger banks are now showing, you know, motivation towards to move towards that kind of lending. The issue that, that we see with that is you're seeing multiples because of the, the exit. Um, you're seeing multiples that are going up in within, say, down south of as much as 10 to 12 times, which is which is in line with, you know, say, hotels. It's within line with the, within hospitality. Um, but that isn't across the board. And it leads on to the other part, which is um, the converted stock, typically sub 40 beds. Now, that has a ceiling in terms of what multiple that's going to achieve. Um, but you know, there's, there's still, <laughs> there is certainly a home for it. And, and I, you know, there, there may be people that are saying that, you know, the, the future of care is moving towards that purpose-built model. But I think there will always be uh, this, this demand for a more boutique facility, home from home um, environment, which, which you get from, you know, sub 40 bed facility. And when, when you look at that, I have had conversations with people say, well, is this model sustainable? But I think what's interesting about this, if you look at, you know, the, the way that it's being valued, a converted Victorian building or, you know, extended multi, uh, care home may have a ceiling of, of a multiple a profit of, say, seven and a half times. That's only going to be valued or acquired really from an, an owner-occupied regional operator. But if you look at a lot of the stock that we're seeing um, purpose-built facilities, 
you know, it's it's being acquired by, as, as you're aware, you know, pension funds and REITs, and they're valuing this stock on a on a different metrics to, to do with yields, etc. And their return supports this higher multiple. So when we look at is this sustainable, the interesting thing is I, I actually think it is. So my my point of view would be from the asset class, you know, that will be a ripple effect where, you know, if you're buying something that's 10 times and you've got something that's smaller but just as profitable, I think there will be the ripple that that will go up. So I think it'll, it's an interesting time for the sector, um, but certainly, certainly a positive. A quick note about one of the sponsors that makes the Care Leaders Network podcast possible. Compass Associates works in partnership with the care sector by supporting care providers with their recruitment and retention needs. They've won a number of industry awards over the years and specialise in placing mid to senior roles in the elderly care sector. Compass have offices in Portsmouth and Manchester, but deliver their services nationwide. And to find out more, head to www.compassltd.co.uk. Got you. Thank you. A couple of things I just wanted to dissect there. I think you've you've, you've played out the landscape uh, in uh, uh, for this specifically for this specific question really really well. I just wanted to double check. So when you're talking about loan to value, that's almost like when somebody buys a house, it's fifteen percent loan to value. Uh, so that's I mean that's pretty pretty straightforward. When we're talking about leverage and multiple profit, this is. Am I right in saying that this is why the EBITDA profitability? Uh, uh, um, the the calculation around that is so important because it's it's the best way to be able to give a clear indication around clear uh, uh, around um, serviceability and um, free cash flow within the business. Yeah. So from from your question, um, I probably can just go straight on to it. Um, but yeah, if if you look at the EBITDA, the EBITDA calculation is absolutely paramount. It's looking at the net profit, you know, with with adjustments made to it. Um, and which is sustainable for the business moving forward for that accounting period. And it's then the leverage is, is a multiple of that figure. And then that will then go to support, you know, the, the loan to value, et cetera. Sure. Sure. I'll, I'll ask you a question about uh, credit policies in a, in, in a minute, but we'll come on to that in a, in a second. The next point that you raised was just around the, around the CQC, I guess an awful lot of, operators and providers are going to be in this really frustrating set of circumstances where maybe they've either bought an asset that's uh, come with that requires improvement or worse, or maybe they've just been unlucky with it, uh, uh, an inspection, or maybe it's it's been a very realistic inspection, uh, inspection, but they've they've done the work to overcome the shortcomings to get it back to a good. I can yeah. imagine there must be so many people who the credit committee isn't interested in doing the deal until the CQC's come back and re-inspected. Um, but the 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 CQC at the moment, obviously, they seem to be in a certain amount of disarray. Uh, most people probably will have been aware of the fact that apparently I can't remember the number now, but more than fifty percent of the CQC's workforce have voted to to strike at some point in the not too distant future, which I can't imagine is going to speed things up. Um, I, I can see that being something that that both. Uh, lenders and uh, operators and providers are going to be th- sat there thinking to themselves, I wish all of this would just kind of hurry itself along. But um, yeah, I guess that's kind of in the in the lap of the CQC gods at the uh, at the moment, because, uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of quite a lot of tension, I'd say, relevant to the, to the regulator at the moment. And I don't, I don't think they necessarily appreciate the impact that that can have on the operator. That could be the difference between, you know, being that, that could be the difference between in, uh, well, 
you could be in breach within an RI of, of your covenants. You know, that, that could then have ramifications on triggering evaluation to be taken place. And that might be for the whole of the group. You know, that's a considerable amount of money, or it may be on terms of due diligence. There might need to be mock CQC plans attached. You know, I, I, it can have an impact on every level within the appetite. It may just be that the bank will ref refuse, you know, to, to actually do the lend because of the, the grade. And, and I think, yeah, it, on the positive, you know, I think if you do have, and I do think it's a great opportunity in the market for regional operators, if you do have that appetite for growth, you know, looking at if you have the, the track record and brand and quality of care in-house, then it, it lends itself to looking at homes which are underperforming, which don't have that. And that's where, as we say, you can really, within the market, there's opportunities to acquire, you know, homes at discounted rates for whatever reason. And then, you know, imprinting your brand into that home will, will potentially end in a sizable profit. Mm. Yeah, lots of um, uh, value growth in, in that respect as, uh, as well, which, of course, is going to be super, super helpful. Um, obviously, buying at the right level is uh, is is really really key, and I guess this kind of links back to to the last point that you made around asset types. The fact that you've stated that you see almost like a two tier system in the uh, in the care sector, I think is. Um, I guess it's not a surprise, as you say, you've got these kind of two different types of you've got the more traditional stock, which is seven, seven and a half times multiple. Um, and then you've got the um, and then you've got the kind of purpose built, brand new, uh, quite, quite fancy, typically. And uh, again, you mentioned the kind of the southeastern things like that. And you've got this massive range of seven to 12 times multiples but those models apply to very very different businesses i i bet this is a story that you hear all the time uh in kind of different guises but i was chatting to somebody the other day who was basically they'd had their expectations mismanaged by by an agent they'd got um a, a great kind of humble uh kind of 20 25 year old home which uh, uh performing in in in, in uh, really really well in lots of different different ways um but they put it on the market and the agent had told them that they thought that it was probably somewhere into double figures from an exit value perspective. And they waited and they waited and they waited. Um, and I guess this is, it's almost like the, the two different tiers, the, the let's call them the tier one category has been applied to the valuation of a tier two asset. And obviously the, the, the person selling the business wasn't particularly happy about the set. So <laughs> yeah. now gone through the process of finding a new agent and stuff like that. And it seems like it's going in the right, uh, in the right direction, but I know obviously you've got in your business, you've got the finance side of things. And then obviously you've got Anthony who's working on the, on the brokerage side of things. I, I, again, I'm imagining that this is a story that you hear time and time again, where uh, expectations have been mismanaged around multiples and all of that type of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Anthony's doing a fantastic job and, and the, the, what we're looking to achieve is, is really a, a boutique option and service for our clients, which is truly client centric which is we can source opportunities and, you know, finance them in a, in a holistic way. We're not looking at transactions. And I think that's what, you know, th th there is a demand for that. You know, there's a demand for, you know, operators who are wanting, as we said, you know, there isn't really, when you look at the, the old school bank manager of old, there isn't necessarily that opportunity to speak to someone who's going to be there for the next 15, 20 years throughout your journey. And, you know, that that's, we have the track record experience and, you know, that's what we're trying to apply. But going back to that, ex that example you said, 
yeah, I, can, I know of a lot, you know, a lot of people that will be in a similar scenario, which is, you know, the, the name of the game is, is winning the instruction and getting it on the market and worrying about what the listing or the multiple is later. Um, and, and, you know, the, you can only get away with that so many times because, you know, it is a small sector. We all talk and, you know, it just won't last that long, that, that mentality. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the positive within the, the within those examples is I think there will be a ripple effect where we see, if you like, that the tier two will naturally increase in value because of you know the, the, the performance and prerequisite, which is the quality of care. Of course, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. We touched upon this earlier, but I want to just get into this a little bit more. So, um, banked credit policies. Uh, talk to me about what they're looking like at the uh, at the moment in the in the new post COVID world. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think you know, if, if we look at refinance and acquisition for an existing operator um, as, a, as a case study, I think the, the loan to value that you're likely to see will be around sixty to seventy percent. Um, I think for rates. There is a bandwidth there in terms of whether it's High Street or whether it's Challenger, um, but it will be sub five and a half percent. Now that that's that's you know range two for say two percent to five and a half, so it's a big bandwidth, and and that will depend on you know the the, the loan to value that is applied to that deal, um, and then as we said before about the leverage, the leverage calculation is is so important. Um, and what we're seeing in the market is between four and six times. So, again, that's four to six times EBITDA. And that's the interesting thing because, you know, you could have a loan to value at, say, 70%, which sounds great. But then if the leverage at six times, and this is getting that figure correct, you know, that, that might bring it back down. Or the other way around. You know, it might be that there's a really well performing home that's doing fantastic and actually it's making a lot of money but the loan to value brings it down but broadly speaking they, they should be in alignment of say 60 65 70 percent should broadly speaking be around say five times leverage the, the other thing just to um kind of um, confirm as well if you like is on the loan to value there are different metrics to how you may calculate that figure depending on the lender so the the, the way that you would look at loan to value of um sort of the trading performance of the home, that's that's a, the bricks and mortar and the and the, the trading performance of the home is, is the MV1. So that's ideally what we're looking for. If when you're looking at, you know, realizing the top level, you're wanting a lender that, that will not just look at the bricks and mortar of the facility, but also will encompass the trading element of the home. Whereas some lenders, towards the lower end of, of kind of challenger and bridging will be in will only look at the bricks and mortar. So say 60, 70%, but but only of the bricks and mortar value. A quick word about one of the sponsors who helps make the Care Leaders Network podcast possible. Bev and Britain works in partnership with the social care sector, delivering high quality legal and regulatory advice. Their award-winning teams across the UK provide workforce, regulatory, corporate, commercial, real estate and litigation advice and their team truly believes in strong partnerships. They really understand what it takes to deliver outstanding care and to build a thriving business. To find out more, head to bevanbritain.com. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. That makes uh, that makes absolute sense. Um, 
Okay, great. And then I guess talk to me a little bit about the CQC, because I guess that's going to be a factor within all of this. I know that you kind of touched upon this, but have I understood it right that so if you've got a good portfolio and you're buying a home that maybe isn't uh, maybe a, a good, maybe it requires improvement or even maybe inadequate, I'd be interested in that as as well. It, if, if you've got a good portfolio, maybe a subpar target that's something that is uh that's kind of open to consideration but maybe if you don't have such a solid portfolio if you're then looking at buying more um uh, uh challenged homes let's let's say um that's where you're likely to come into more resistance around um uh, successfully getting lending approval for uh, for those types of deals yeah i absolutely agree yeah it's it's not if you have the track record and experience then you know you can look at opportunities where the, the the level of CQC is is underperforming, but broadly speaking, if it's a refinance, you'll be judged on you know the, the quality of, of the level of care within within your group, and yeah, it, it the blended percentage needs to be the majority uh, rated at a good level. Sure, yeah, that makes that makes sense, and I guess the last thing that I'd be really really interested to hear from you so. Obviously, we're coming off the back of a, a few years of pretty tough trading conditions. How does the financial sector go about evaluating a good investment in the care sector? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good question. There's a lot of uncertainty. You, you don't have, you know, I don't think any business just has now three years of accounts, which are, you know, in line, perfect. But everyone has been impacted. So, that, you know, the, the way that you analyze that, review that, is it needs requires a bit of attention um if we look at it in terms of an owner occupied trading business then there are a couple of things that, that may have happened in that there may have been an impact reduction in occupancy and trade there may have been covid grants applied um and we've seen that a lot the way that that is uh, manufactured in terms of valuation there are some businesses that have actually received a spike in performance, i.e. traders remained, but actually with the COVID grant that's been implied, applied, sorry, there's there's been a spike in performance. Now, in those situations, the banks are likely to remove any COVID funding that's been applied. If it's a case where, you know, occupancy was affected, trade has been uh, impacted, then actually, and, and there's COVID grants that have been applied, then then there's every chance that the, 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 the banks will look at that favourably and say that should be in line. It's it's about a level of fairness. It should be an, a, a holistic approach, which is fair to the, to the home and to the operation. Um, that can be further supported by evaluation. And, and the, the, the term that, that, that will be used is an FMT. So that's a fair maintainable trade. And, and that is fundamentally pivotal, pivotal because that is a, a projection-based indicator. So that will say moving forward, based on what we've seen, this is what should be happening. So if we go 18, 17, 18 was, was great in line with where we thought it was going, and then 1920 was impacted heavily, and then we're starting to see you know recovery, shoots of recovery, and now it's doing well what we should then be looking at is a, is a fair maintainable trade that as if that wasn't, you know, that, that didn't happen or that the, uh, the grant was applied and actually we can take a view and that projection based indicator will then provide a number, an EBITDA number 
which can then be used as the multiple. Yeah, definitely. And with the uh, with the FMT, with the fair maintainable trade figure, is that does that does that calculation come about through the trading performance of that particular business, or is that almost like an aggregated view of what other similar businesses? Uh, it's a good question, and no, that that should be associated with that home. And as I say, it, it, it can work both ways. It could be, you know, that the occupancy has been impacted, as we said, um, and performance, you know, should be in line with what it was doing pre-COVID. Then that that figure will, will likely be higher than what it's doing, and that could be used for the purpose of the bank to say, well, rather than work out serviceability based on, you know, the, the affected impacted performance, let's use the FMT figure. That's a fair representation of where the business is going. And that's a better guide. But actually, it can work the other way where you may have a, a home that has a truly unique management team in situ. And let's say it's a disposal. You know, a client is looking to acquire that. And actually, you know, that management team is, is going to be leaving the building. And, you know, occupancy is 100 percent. It's doing very well. It's almost classed as over trading, if you like. Then there may actually be a reduction in that FMT calculation because they may may actually apply a fair representation to say it's not likely or it's not fair for someone to expect to just hit the ground running at that level. Actually, we think it may be, you know, let's apply a rule of what we're seeing in the market, which is 80, 85 to 90% rather than 100% occupancy. And, and actually, you know, the, the trade would be reduced slightly or the EBITDA calculator would be reduced slightly. So it can work both ways, but but certainly the you know the most important and most commonly used is is the first, which is you know is to support homes that have been impacted, and that figure will will be a fair rep- representation of where the business is going. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Scott. We got together to talk about what was going on in debt financing in 2023, and I feel like we've covered off just about all of the uh, all of the bases we possibly could do. So, I guess anyone that's interested in exploring this subject in more detail, obviously you're available on the Cat Leaders Network. So, uh, feel free to give Scott uh, a buzz at any point if uh, if there's things you want to elaborate on. But it, great, great to have the conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Simon. Fantastic.